Welcome to Big Time Adulting, the podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Murray, and I'm here to take it deep with you on adulthood, womanhood, motherhood, and whatever other things end in hood that we can think of. It's going to be real, it's going to be honest, and we are going to laugh until a little pee comes out. If you've been looking to find a podcast to relate to as a woman and a mom, and you're kind of awesome, which you definitely are, subscribe now. Hello and welcome back to Big Time Adulting. I'm Caitlin Murray, your host, and I have a really fantastic guest joining me today, somebody who I found by chance on Instagram and someone who's not only reaffirmed a lot of the things I was feeling about motherhood, but who is also able to medically substantiate a lot of the things I think we feel deep down about motherhood. Um, Today we have Dr. Tanya Kotler, who is a clinical psychologist who specializes in reproductive and maternal mental health and parent-child attachment. As both a child and an adult psychologist, she is uniquely able to understand and relate to parents and their children. She has extensive training and experience working with individuals across the developmental spectrum and a broad range of mental health challenges, including anxiety, depression, relationship issues, addictions, trauma, and relational trauma, which include loss and bereavement. And so today, um, I have prepared a couple of questions. Hi, Tanya. Would you like to say hello? Hi, Caitlin. I'm so excited to be this first guest. I feel so honored. Yes, so this is officially my first podcast recorded guest session, and I just did the thing that I wasn't going to do, which was call you Tanya, and your name is freaking Tanya, and we just went over this in the pre-recorded session where we were talking. But Caitlin, you know, here I go being the psychologist who's not supposed to talk about herself right off the bat, but (laughs) my parents actually pronounced my name differently. One says Tanya and one says Tanya. So you're not totally off. Like I hear and respond to both. I'm okay. I'm solid in in myself. That makes me feel (laughs) much better. Anyway, so here we are today. And, um, you know, you and I have talked just even personally as friends offline about a lot of stuff. And I've asked you certain questions about mom stuff. And we've collaborated a couple of times on Instagram. So one of the first thing that I wanted to discuss, which is really like a two-part question, is about mom guilt. And um, the first part of the question relates to mom guilt um, as it pertains to what's going on within ourselves and the reasons why we feel guilty for you know certain behaviors or you know expressions of ourselves with as mothers. And then the second part relates to mom guilt as it pertains to like outside or societal or so social media pressures that we feel from the outside world. Um, so I'm just going to like launch right into the, to the first part of the question, which is, you know, as moms, and I, I should actually say as parents, cause I know my husband like grapples with the same sort of stuff, but how do we know, despite feeling like we're messing up often or not doing enough, or, you know, maybe I lost my shit five times today, 
how do we know like we're not doing a permanent damage and that we're raising a child that will be happy and well-adjusted? Because I think that's all like, you know, nobody can be perfect all of the time. Like we're all going to make these mistakes, right? But I think what we want to know or like if we could all look into a crystal ball and say like, okay, I'm going to have a happy child. Like what are the things that sort of substantiate that medically, psychologically? So I feel like I'm going to begin with putting a pin in the balloon, but it's actually (laughs) re-questioning our goal in and of itself, right? Is our goal actually, we say this, we all do. I'm a mother of three. We say our goal is for to have well-adjusted, happy children, but what do we really mean? We know that life is um, full of bumps and lumps and curves. Happy is a funny word as a goal. That would mean that we kind of arrive at a state of blissfulness indefinitely. And we actually all know that that's not actually a goal. It's not possible. So if I reframed that, I'd say our goal is well-adjusted. What do I think you mean when you say that? is kind of resilience, right? A capacity to cope with the bumps and the lumps and the topsy-turvies of life, a capacity to be with whatever comes and to feel overall safe and content and capable of coping with what comes. Would that feel like a okay reframe as a start? That is a good, that's, and I actually don't find that to be a balloon popping statement. I find that to be a bit of a relief, really. Like, you know, like, let's just actually be normal, right? So thank you. So I actually also don't think it's balloon popping, but in case any listener did, the reason why I say that is right off the bat, if our goal is happy, we're setting ourselves up, mm-hmm. right? We're setting ourselves up for ourselves and our children that there's some arrival state in life, that we arrive to some point of bliss with no return. And that's just not how human beings are. We go through various emotions at any given time and experiences, and we're supposed to. Uh, We're human beings. The idea is to be able to be resilient. And what resiliency means is really a capacity to cope with, to move through what comes, to know that things are impermanent, to be able to fall back to a baseline of a sense of security and joyfulness. The joy is sort of something that's learned, and we learn how to find it despite our circumstances, right? So that in a kind of quick nutshell would be our goal. And once that's our goal, we're in a much better place because we then can look at what makes children resilient. I feel better. I'm just going to go. Good. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. (laughs) And what makes children resilient, we know, is actually the secure attachment relationship. Now, when I say attachment, for anybody who's like about to click off and hears that um, and thinks attachment parenting, we're going to do this now, um, don't hang up. I'm not talking attachment parenting. That is a style of parenting. We might get to it, but essentially it prescribes certain behaviors that say that that's what builds a bond, like breastfeeding or co-sleeping or, you know, attaching yourself to your baby by the hip. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the science of attachment, which actually has nothing to do with attachment parenting. They just use the same word and confuse everybody. The science of attachment is the emotional bond that develops. And what we know about that emotional bond is that it actually is strengthened through mistakes 
mismatches. So resiliency is built through a series of matches and mismatches. Some lowercase m mismatches, some uppercase m mismatches. Or you could think of it as ruptures. Ruptures are the bigger, uppercase m mismatches. And what happens is a child learns through those ruptures every time they're repaired that actually they can build trust in the we of them and their parents. So, for example, you put your kid to bed and your child wants you to lie next to them and you are checking in with yourself and with them. And the best thing for you, because every relationship depends on the parent-child relationship, best thing for you and your child is actually not to sleep together. Your child needs to learn how to sleep on their own. You've decided you don't, if you don't sleep well, you're an angry AF mother. Um, That might be me, you know, nobody else. And so you decide you have to leave. So you say to your child, I know you want me to lie next to you. That's a, I see your mind. That's a empathy for their emotional state. And I can't. Yeah. And peace out and limit. And I can't, I need to go sleep in my own bed. So you hug your stuffy. And you know, mommy always comes back and I'll see you in the morning. Yeah. Now that moment, now for some children and how often you do that consistently, that will be a big capital M. It's a big separation. It's a mismatch between what they want and what you want with your needs and their needs. It's what we call a rupture. Yeah. But you're repairing it in two ways. One, by seeing their mind and putting words to it. Two, by coming back in the morning and saying, I know it was hard for you, but you slept alone. Um, You did it, right? Good job. And I'm here and I always come back like I told you. And so you repair it. And so when we have increasing circumstances like that, which we cannot avoid, because remember, there's no happy arrival. We cannot avoid you're on your phone for a minute and your child wants you to play with them. You're cooking dinner. We were talking right before this podcast started. You're right. cooking dinner and they want your attention and you're like, one minute, one minute. We have all these at lowercase m's throughout the day when we keep moving through them and repairing them, which is by noticing that our child's mind might be different than our mind having sensitivity to it, but that doesn't mean giving into it. Our child goes, oh, she's got me. She Mm -hmm. has my mind in her mind. I am Mm -hmm. safe. We can recover. I know that ultimately I can trust her or him to be there. And so that's how they build resiliency. That's how they ultimately build that resilience through that kind of rupture and repair. So why be guilty? Our our mistakes are actually valuable. Yes. Okay. So, but even like in that, in that example, I find that's like, that's not a mistake, right? That's like a premeditated, like, okay, I'm not actually going to sleep in this room with you tonight. And that's a fantastic way to handle those situations. It's like, we don't, we need to listen to our own needs. Right. And not feel bad about that. Like you're, that is like, so validating and a relief to hear that, like, you can just set that boundary and, you know, listen to your child, let them know you're listening to them, but also like walk away and do what is best also for you in that situation. But um, what about on the instance that like, you know, you don't have that forethought to, I lost my temper situation. Like, oh my God, I've had it up to my fucking eyeballs with everything today. And somebody just, um, you know, will not listen about stopping hitting the baby or anything like that. And it's like, Well, they fit in the same bucket. So let's go with that because that's awesome. They fit in the same bucket for two reasons. First, when we yell at our children, 
have our moments that might not be aligned with our values or mm-hmm. how we want to be as parents. That's what you're talking about, right? Because if you're, if it doesn't bother you that you yell, then you wouldn't feel bad in the first place. Right. So obviously it means it's something that's not matching with your values. And that's actually an important thing to check, right? Yeah. Because we don't want to feel guilty that say Karen next door um, gives her children green juice and, you know, teaches them Latin and we're not doing it is if that's not our value of the mother we want to be, then that's useless attention. That's not our focus. But if it is our focus to try to be patient with our child and then we lose our shit, Um, come aside, come aside, come aside, come aside. They're running around like banshees and they smack the baby on the head. And, you know, maybe that happened in my house this morning. Um, and, and you know, you stop it. I said, go outside. Right. Yeah. yeah. And actually you are not in maybe the even place to say, I'm Mine's, sorry. Mommy's that, sounded, that actually sounded so soft. Mine would be more like, get outside. I'm being, I'm record, being oh, recorded. I don't want, I don't want people to hang up no. or need to lower the volume on their phone. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. And you don't even have in those moments often that like repairability. Sorry, sorry. Mommy just lost it. Like you're, you're, yeah, you might keep going. Yeah, I right, told you right. and then yeah, now it might go on. It might snowball for the rest. For yeah, like yeah. The next. Absolutely. So those moments still count as mismatches. They're mm-hmm. longer. Mm-hmm. So in the research, what we know, Ed Tronic has done this amazing research. If anybody wants to look up the still face experiments, he's done research looking at what happens when parents are directed to go flat or still face when they're interacting with their child and how that affects the child. But then also, more importantly, how the repair when mom returns with a mm-hmm. smile on her face, how they can quickly resume their more positive interactions, baby smiles, mom smiles, and so on. And he's done a whole host of research based on these still face experiments that I won't get into today, but they're YouTubeable if people want to look it up. And what he has found in his tremendous amount of research are three things that I think are important. One, that discord, so we mm-hmm. can call mit- mismatch, but now we're going to go further, like discord, actual rupture, like yelling at your child. Yeah. Um, is beneficial still. So not just yes. is okay, don't worry, is beneficial as long as it's repaired. It doesn't have to be repaired in the moment. Right. Okay. So tomorrow or tonight as you put them to bed, I'm sorry, mom's tired too, is mm-hmm. helpful. Why? It helps them learn separateness of minds. I have a mind, you have a mind. Our minds aren't always the same. Your mind was tired. Your mind yep. needed to eat. And your mind was not in the excited, Tory, jumping around the house place my mind was in. Mm-hmm. And so we, we fell apart. It helps them learn individuality. It also helps them learn that we had this negative emotion, this negative energy. You yelled at me. I felt bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had positive again. We came back together again. So that negative emotions can become positive again. Impermanence of feelings. Yeah. It's really important for them to learn that. Three, they learn I have an impact because they, maybe they said sorry, or maybe they changed their behavior, or maybe they kept acting badly and you realized that they were trying to, you know, they needed attention, something, right. but they realized that my bids for attention got your attention, which means I have an impact in this world and mm-hmm. on you. That's really good for them. So these discords are actually really important. 
he actually realized that most parent-child pairs are in most secure parent-child pairs are mm. in a 70-30 split, meaning they're in negative space, rupture space, 70% of the time. Oh my God. Wow. I thought you were going to say the opposite. This is just more and more relief as the conversation goes on. And again, and that's good. So it's not, they're in 70% and we should really be striving for, you know, 30. No, yeah. like it's good. 70% yeah. is what we want. They're learning from it. They're gaining yeah. trust in themselves and the world from it. It's, it's actually yeah. really healthy. The And when people say, you know, uh, she's just trying to make everybody feel better. No, the part I am promoting is the repair part. The repair right. is essential. The right. rupture without repair can be detrimental. Yes. But I am not actually saying we need to be perfect all the time. We should feel guilty when we get angry. Where we should be focusing our attention is on reflection, reflecting yeah. on ourselves. Yeah. So if we had a bad day, um, right. if it doesn't align with our values, repair it. And right. actually, you're good. Yeah. And that's where like being the adult comes in, right? Like, so it's, at some point, like you're a human and stuff like that, and you're going to lose your shit or you're going to have um, a disagreement with your child over whether or not you're supposed to sleep in their bed or your bed or whatever it is. And then you have to be, you know, self-aware enough to know the way that you responded if it was, you know, out of line. Because I think like from obviously also generations prior to us, you know, children should be seen and not heard or like you don't have to explain yourself or apologize or that kind of thing. That was not good for, for kids, obviously. And for that's why they rebelled more or Totally. You know, Which, that's, that's exactly happened. right. <laughs> Burn your that, that's right on the money. Um, the children ultimately need to feel seen and mm -hmm. heard and safe and soothed. And the way they feel that is not by us never making mistakes. It's us yeah. noticing what we know is in their mind and saying yeah. essentially in some way or other, I got you. Right. Um, and I'm sorry if I right. didn't in that moment. Okay. So building on that to the sort of the second part of this, because then there's also like, that's all that kind of guilt that comes from within or the way that you've behaved in a day or whatever, how many times you've ruptured. And then there's also the mom guilt that comes from the outside pressures. Like uh, social media is huge in this. I think um, just the portrayal of this perfect life for so many moms out there, you know, um, the fakeness that's perpetuated via social media in so in so many instances and not everything. And obviously like it's nice to see happy families and that kind of thing, but that there, there are these people who look like they're doing it all perfectly all the time. And then there are also, you know, like you mentioned breastfeeding. I found that to be like an incredible source of pressure as a new mom. And it was only by the time I had my third child that I realized I, I have this condition called like Deemer, which is dysphoric milk ejection mm. reflux. And I have massive like onset of uh, it's brief, but yeah, anxiety, anxiety. Yeah. during like the letdown in the latch. And I didn't realize that that was even really happening until and that it's a thing because nobody talks about it. Yeah. I never had heard of it before. And, um, you know, I have this friend that I really look up to as a mom and she had three kids by the time I had my first. And, um, I remember her telling me she only breastfed her kids for the first like 12 weeks or something. And I was like shocked, like, Oh my God. Like, cause I've been hearing so much, 
pressure from, you know, the medical community, um, online motherhood resources about, you know, breast is best, breast is best. And I think that's a beautiful thing for people who it works well for. Mm -hmm. But what I don't like is just the pressure to do things one way or like you were talking about, you hit on this already, actually saying about the things that actually matter to you as a mother versus the things that don't fucking matter, like that don't need to matter, like necessarily for how long you breastfeed or whether or not you made organic baby purees or used cloth diapers or those kinds of things. So, um, what's a way in, in which we need to, I feel like, come back to our own values and have faith in not listening to the outside noise as much? Like, how do we avoid that? So, you know, I think, obviously, I am, I said I'm a mother of three, so right now, so maybe I am uh, overly stating this, but some of my own mentors have said this who are much older. Some of them are male. So I I think it's okay. Uh, Mm -hmm. For example, Gabor Mate has said this. It's one of the hardest times uh, in history to be a mother right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think why that is, is largely due to an intersection of things that always made motherhood hard, like our internal pressures that we were talking about before are, you know, the idealized romanticized version of motherhood that has existed for kind of eons. Um, and that has been an issue for our mothers and our grandmothers. Um, but that, and, and that intersects now with a kind of major boom in Everything is available to us from books, from Instagram, from websites, from everybody's an expert. Uh, motherhood's all the rage right now, which has positives but major negatives. Parenthood in general, and so there's there's so much information coming at us on what's good, what's right, what should be done, and it's all at our fingertips. Yeah, and that can be very, very, very harmful because what happens with guilt, I think, is twofold. One is we can feel guilty. Um, based on the prototype of mother we want to be that's within us, that might be based on our own mothering that we received and either trying sometimes to recreate the mother we had or in many, many cases, trying to be anything but that. Um, So one is that internal pressure, which requires, how do we deal with that? A lot of self-reflection. That's Mm -hmm. maybe therapy, talking to friends, talking up to a partner, what was my childhood like? What am I mm-hmm. afraid of recreating maybe? What am mm-hmm. I, why am I getting triggered? When are the times I get triggered? But also, what am I trying to emulate? You know, if we had right. a motherhood by example, extraordinaire, or so we thought. Um, and is that reasonable for us to be emulating? Yeah. The second is reflection on the external. What is all this information boom around me? And what if it actually aligns with what I want? What if it is actually mine, my goals? You know, is it raising a gluten-free, um, you know, grain-free, a paleo? And I'm not mocking this. It might be. Um, right. You know, cloth diaper, breastfeeding, child. Wh- why is that your goal? And if it is okay, what can we do to help support you in that goal? 
Whereas, oh, I don't know why it's my goal. I just think I'm supposed to do it because mm-hmm. Karen's doing it. Yeah. Um, because I think that I'm supposed to breastfeed in order to have a bond, going back to that first question, because right. that's what makes a happy child. Or I think I'm supposed to co-sleep and because that's what makes a baby wear, because that's what makes a happy child. Then it's actually important to know the science um, and help with that guilt and align you that no, no single behavior. And like, if nobody listens to anything but this sentence, no single behavior is going to impact your child's well-being right. and your relationship through life. No single behavior. Sorry, yeah. not going to happen. Not breastfeeding, not co-sleeping, not, you know, homemade food purees. No single behavior is going to do it. Yeah. What it is, is about the child feeling felt, going back to that same thing, feeling yeah. seen, feeling yeah. lovable, feeling yeah. known. And that is an experience that occurs not due to behaviors, but due to your emotional presence over time, not over a singular day or moment in time, over time. Yeah. Eons and eons of time. We know how much time we have with our children. Yeah. Over time, they create an extraction, a representation. That says, going back to that same thing before, she's got me. I have confidence in her or in yeah. him, in their protection. That's it. And that's not going to come from, you know, applesauce. No, it's not. And I think, like, basically, I I feel like in this whole situation, you're just, the, the answer to the question is also, it always goes back to that part one of mom guilt, like what's coming from within and what we need to do with our, just our own personal relationship with our child to, you know, make sure we're, we're getting that repair time, um, for as much as we rupture, cause we're all going to rupture. And that, that the balance of that relationship with your child is what matters, not the breastfeeding, not the sleep training or the co-sleeping or the, whatever you decide to do, uh, those external factors that can har- be difficult to ignore via, you know, the, in your faceness of social media or, you know, the medical community sometimes I think is also put some pressure on new moms with, with some of that stuff as well. But just to go back to your values and, and make that, because at the end of the day, if you're sticking to what feels right to you, then you can sleep at night with that. You know what I mean? So Totally. And minimize, minimize the noise in order to do that, right? Find the one or two professional accounts you following on Instagram. You don't need to follow 75 just to make sure you know everything. You can just follow big time adulting and Dr. Tanya Cutler. That's it. That's all you need. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay. So, you know, I want to get to this next question that I have for you, um, and, and give it enough time because, you know, we've all been home with our kids so fucking much <laughs> over the last, you know, 14, 15 months. What, where are we now on all of this? And with this pandemic and the anxiety that has been created, I think all of these, you know, the mom guilt stuff has been like exacerbated even through the pandemic. I mean, you're talking about how even just in modern day, it's the hardest time in history to be a mother, never mind parenting through a pandemic, which, which is what's going on right now and stuff like that. But, um, you know, 
I think we all know like this year has been a fucking dumpster fire. And even I just, I had been used to being isolated with my kids for a long time. And I I thought that I might be even relatively unfazed by it. Um, But coming out of this a little bit more, and I know we're starting to come out of it. You're in in Canada where you're still fully in a lockdown right now, which is, I don't even know how people are doing it, to be honest. I mean, my heart is like broken for the families in lockdown right now um, after a year of this. But, you know, I do realize I have been definitely affected um, by the pandemic and maybe it's, you know, a cumulative thing on top of what we've already been through with our son. But in itself, I mean, it's hard not to, I think people are having a hard time even just going back to life as as usual and they're afraid um, in a lot of ways. And you know, I think that it's been really tough on the little, like slightly older kids, the tweens and the teens, um, the kids who are really aware of what they've lost this past year. Um, littler kids, it's harder to be at home, I think, stuck with them at home. But the bigger kids are just really going through so much with this. So I guess the question is, um, and obviously this is a huge topic, but how, how do we start to move forward? Um, and what's the healthiest way to move forward from what we're all sort of in and coming out of both for ourselves and our kids? So you're right. It's a massive question. And, um, and I think one we can answer actually quite simply, uh, as strange as that sounds. And that's because we have all been through so much in different places in the world, are still in it and others reemerging. But what we're needing to notice is first and foremost, this idea of permission to feel whatever you're feeling, um, to be present with that, with compassion, rather than with an expectation to be somewhere else. So in places where we're reemerging or are reopening, If you are still feeling anxious, giving yourself that space, understanding anxiety as something that exists along a continuum. So fear being kind of the lowest end of the continuum is something is actually happening, is actually scary right now. There's a legitimate threat. And so in some places, we're actually there. And so Mm -hmm. honoring that that's where you are and giving yourself compassion with that and doing what you need to cope with that. And you can't cope without actually first giving yourself permission to feel that. So coping for you might be finding something that you can control, um, grounding in your moment. I am safe. I am okay. Exercising, watching comedy, developing ritual and routine Mm -hmm. with your children or yourself, dance parties, as you're very good at, Caitlin. (laughs) It's very much learning to do what you need to, to move through the feeling but you actually can't do that if you deny the feeling. So on the same level, for someone who's reopening or reemerging and going, I'm actually not ready to go to that, you know, 10 person outdoor party, or I'm really nervous, shaming or guilting it will keep us stuck um, Mm -hmm. and will not allow us to cope. So we need to allow ourselves a space. Of course you are nervous. This has been 14, 15 months of terror. It's still very unknown. So allowing yourself to feel that, focusing on what you can control, if it's important to you that you go, um, you know, I can wear my mask, I can still maintain distance, I'm allowed to do what I need to do Mm -hmm. to go, um, rather than kind of forcing yourself 
to not be feeling a certain feeling. With our children, whether it's coping continuously to be, yes, as anybody who's a Canadian or specifically Ontario listener right now, continuing to be in complete lockdown, it is really getting hard on mm. people who are still in that state, of course. Yeah. Um, it's a long time home on older children. It's really, really hard. It is super unnatural. Parents are scared about their children's well-being. Um, what do we do about that? Honest communication is super important, whether we're, again, reopening or rather we were still home. What is happening? Tell your child. Aliens have not invaded Earth, nor is it totally fine. Um, yeah. What is actually happening? There is a virus. This virus is like a flu. It passes very easily. It travels very quickly. It, like for a younger child, you'll explain an airplane. For an older child, you'll just explain it because they get it. Um, with droplets, what do you know? Explain it in a child-friendly level at whatever age they can comprehend, but explain it. We are wearing masks because that's what protects us. We still need to wear masks. We don't need to wear a mask with this person because we're vaccinated. We do still need to, etc. Mm -hmm. What do you know they should know? We often think we want to protect them from this. The more we protect them, the more they need to find the information for themselves. The more confused they are, the less they have a place to put their feelings. So the same permission to feel we're giving ourselves, we want to give them. It's okay to be scared. Everything I just told you might land in you being afraid or sad or feeling grief. Our job as parents is not to protect them or fix or avoid those feelings. Our job is to permit them, allow yeah. them to be there and give them a safe and soft landing space with us. I know it's sad, buddy. We, we can't fix it. But it, what we're going to do is resilience, help them feel like they can cope if we're there and they're not alone with it. Similarly for children, giving them opportunities for finding joy in their present moment through ritual and routine. Like, you know, Tuesdays are taco night or Saturday nights, we have pizza or we go for a family bike ride on Sunday or have a dance party. These are not perfect. Again, if our aim is happy or perfect or what was, we're going to feel overwhelmed. We need to aim at in this moment, how can I find joy as best I can despite circumstance? How can I make meaning alongside it, but allow the space for the loss, the grief, the anxiety, because they're going to be there. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. Um, I wrote, I have two articles that I wrote, one at the beginning of the pandemic, how to cope uh, as adults, which is in psychology today. And the other was how to help our children cope, which is was in the J post. I will send yeah. both yeah, when you can provide them, them um, so they get into it in more detail. Mm -hmm. And then I also have a workbook that I created. It's uh, since been translated in five or six languages. That is how to help our children cope through the pandemic. So I can provide the link to that as well. Yeah. Um, and these are really just tools, but the overall idea is presence because if we're in this moment then we're not in the anxiety of the future what if someone gets sick what if we have a fifth wave what if what if um, right. and we're not in the guilt of I can't fix it um, what was which, which is past oriented focus we are in the present with what we can do right now with compassion and without expectation of perfection yeah, I think there's been, I think there's an overall feeling for, for what I felt is a lot of helplessness in this situation. So, um, and I've been frustrated at times with the way things have been handled and, and 
particularly when it comes to the kids and stuff like that. But, you know, nobody's really totally known what they were doing with this. So you got to give grace in, in certain ways with all of that. But, you know, I think that what you said is just, you know, we're, we're really being called to dig really deep right now um, on a level that not a, like we, we haven't probably really experienced before. Cause this is, you know, this is a whole new ball game we're dealing with and how life has been over the last year. And thank God some places are coming out. And again, like I'm heartbroken for the places who are still in it right now. But um, I do feel like we are going to come out and um, you know, I'm always, uh, I'm always positive in the end and hopeful for, for the, for the best, um, to be ahead of us still, but yeah, it's next level, like digging deep right now to find the strength to be present. Um, and I think that just one like moment of, uh, you know, solace in it is that we're all in it. You know, everybody has been really struggling, I think, um, with all of this and just to know that you're not alone in that, like that, everybody feels kind of fucked up right now. And that, you know, um, we're all just trying our best to get through the day and that it's okay if you're having a shitty day with it, or you're having these feelings of, you know, like grief loss basically from this past year and the angst and the stress of what it's done to our lives and trying to come out of it, um, hopefully normal soon. Right. But, um, it's just, uh, it's, it's a work in progress and, and that's kind of everything. So that if you don't have to feel like everything has to be solved today and you have these feelings and you let them be there and work through them a little bit and take your time with the process. But, um, that's I love what you just said, Caitlin, at the end, because you're, there's that need for hope, like that, you know, presence makes us feel like that means we can't have hope because we're not mm-hmm. having future oriented thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, but presence means being in this moment without fear of what's going to come or filling the future with thoughts of what's to come. But that doesn't mean that we can't intentionally in the present moment, ground ourselves in messages that give us hope, like looking at a country that may be further vaccinated um, and advanced, you know, like Israel, and yeah. saying, look at how they are doing, that gives me hope. Or just leaning into this idea of, wow, how amazingly crazy that the entire world, global humanity has experienced this together. That can, for some people, give them shivers of a feeling of connection, um, yeah. of part of something really major. And that we know when global humanity has gone through things historically, they get out of them. Yeah. Um, we have never stayed as a global humanity in one place at any given time in history. So this too will move. It has yeah. to. Everything's impermanent. So there are ways to find hopefulness yeah. in our moment, actually, yeah. using our moment to inform hope. Yeah, that's where I try to come from. And I think that um, it's just, it's, but it, it has been hard and it's nice to acknowledge that you know, people have been going through a lot and it's okay to feel like that. And, you know, I, um, I want to just say thank you so much for all of your 
you know, your helpful insights, but you're really your, your, your work, um, and your research and, um, how I feel validating it is as a mother, a parent, a woman. And I just always feel so much better after I, like, we've talked about these rupture and repair things and that kind of stuff. And just knowing that it's okay to be, you know, it's okay to be imperfect. It's normal and human to be imperfect. And, and you can still come out of that with a great, healthy relationship with your children. And and I think that we know that as moms deep down inside, because we love them so fucking much. And like, you know, we would do anything for them, which is part of the reason we experience the guilt. But to know that it's all kind of going to be okay, not perfect, but okay. Um, so thank you for for your work in the field on that because it's helping. It's helping moms, and um, I encourage everyone to go over to Doctor Doctor Tanya Kotler's um, Instagram page, which I will link here as well, and. Um, and follow along with her and her insights and work. And that is sort of the conclusion of our first recorded podcast episode today. So I wish we had like streamers, but no one could see us. Thank you so much, Caitlin. That was Um, so great. Thank you so much. Have a a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for being here and uh, we'll be in touch soon. My pleasure. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you're looking for any of the resources from the episode, you can check them out in show notes. Again, if you liked listening, I'd love it for you to subscribe. Until next time, peace out.